Well, the passage this morning comes out of God's Word in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Before we read, let me say that if you don't have a Bible of your own, I would love to mail you one. The church would love to provide you a Bible of your very own, and we'd be glad to give you a reading plan, too, to help you get started. Simply call us here at the church at 251-867-5395, and we'll be glad to get one in the mail to you, even this week. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God, it will abide and stand forever and ever. Let's pray again. Father, help us as we look at your word by your spirit. Help us to understand it. Give us fresh eyes to see. Give us unction and anointing, we ask humbly, for both the preacher and hearer alike. We need you, O Lord. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, imagine yourself, if you will, in a field. You've been going along a path, and before you are two gates. You cannot go backwards, and staying where you are isn't an option. Two gates, a fork in the road. Which gate will you choose? The first one is wide open, right? 30, 40 feet wide. So wide you can drive your big old F-350 dually right through it. And the road that is on the other side of this gate, well, it's straight as an arrow. No rocks, no ruts. Paved in the best tarmac possible, just like Belleville right now. In fact, it's so freshly paved, you see the road crew just sauntering off, having finished the last stripe. There are a lot of folks on it. But there's a lot of space, plenty of room for everyone. Fast food joints are along the way. Nice restaurants, Ruth's Chris, advertising free filet mignon. They're all there, ready for your taking. And you know, the road even has a slight downward slope. So if you wanted to, the perfect weather of 75 degrees, you could just slip your old F-350 into neutral and glide along the way. What a great ride that sounds like. But then you, you consider the other gate. There it is behind some bushes. You kind of have to look just right that you can see it. It doesn't look like many people have used it. In fact, there's still grass that's growing in between the gate, showing that a lot of folks hadn't been through there. The slightly hidden gate is actually really, really narrow. So narrow that you as an individual, your body, you might just squeeze through. The idea of taking your truck through any truck, well, that's just out of the question. As you look at the path beyond it, it's not a real nice road. In fact, it's not really a road at all, more of a glorified game path. It doesn't get any better. It's got a lot of rocks and brambles to catch your clothes, many obstacles along the way to trip you up. And it goes uphill rather than downhill, and there are only a few people on it. Which one, which one of these gates would you choose? Well, it's actually an impossible question to answer without knowing the most important element of all, and that is, where do these roads lead? Think about it, the, the where 
roads lead determines which road we take. If I'm going to Pensacola, I'm not going to take a game path north of town. Or if I'm going to head to Demopolis and see my wife's family, I'm not going to take I-10. It all determines where they go. Well, where do these roads go? Well, we find that the first road, the road with uh, the wide gate, the easy road, is destination is destruction. Its destination is hell. The narrow gate with the hard road, where does it lead? It leads to eternal life. Which road will you take? Which gate will you go through? As we get now to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we've got a few more weeks here. Jesus shifts and he begins a new segment, the last segment. Up to this point, he's been describing not how to get into the kingdom of God, how we are saved. Rather, he's been talking about once we're saved, what our lives are meant to look like. What does the life of a disciple of Christ, you and me, if you're a Christian, what is that life meant to look like? But now he's going to call the question. He's going to back up just a little bit. He's going to call the question. If they don't know the Lord, which gate are they going to take? Which road will they follow? The one that leads to destruction or the one that leads to life? And so he does this in two short verses. In a genius illustration of four elements. And first I'm going to give us an introduction to these four and then we're going to go back again and look at them uh, in greater detail. Uh, I want to just tell you up front what they mean and then we're going to look at them again. First you have these two gates. And there are only two gates. The broad gate, which leads to destruction and damnation, really we must do nothing to enter through this one. It requires no effort. The other gate is conversion, going through the narrow gate. The illustration here is talking about becoming a Christian, repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Unless we wonder which gate Jesus wants us to go through, he makes it real clear here in the opening words of verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Now, these two gates lead to two roads, uh, uh, an easy road and a hard road or, or path or way. You know, you go through a specific gate and it leads you to a specific road. And these roads represent the lives of, they represent our lives. If we go through the wide gate, it represents a life of an unbeliever doing whatever he or she wants and what appears to be freedom but is actually slavery. We'll talk about that more in a minute. The narrow road is talking about the Christian life during which God is working in us in a special way to make us more and more like his son, something we call sanctification. So we talk about our pilgrimage or the road of our lives. That's, that's what's in view here. This third element, though, is that of destinations. There are but two destinations, and those destinations can only be reached by those roads, those uh, individual, specific, respective, uh, respective roads you can't get from one to the other. And the wide gate leads to the easy road, which leads to hell. The hard gate, or the narrow gate, which leads to the hard road, leads to eternal life. Perhaps the most sobering of these things is this fourth element, and that's of these two numbers, the few and the many. Jesus tells us that along the easy road, the easy path, the way, after the broad and wide gate, there are many. We might say the majority. But those who are on the hard path leading to salvation or leading to eternal life, there are but few on that road. So let's dive back in. That's our overview. That's where we're going. 
Let's look at these more specifically. First, the two gates. Why does Jesus describe the way of unbelief and rejection of Jesus as the wide gate? Basically, it's because apart from Jesus intervening in our lives, we're already on that road. We've already gone through that gate, and we are continuing to reject Jesus, and we are continuing in unbelief in Him. That really takes no effort on our own. We can just coast on through. As we consider those two gates in our opening illustration in the field, you can just drive your 8-foot-wide Ford F-350 right through without having to get out, without having to change anything at all, with all your junk, anything you want to bring stuffed in the 8-foot-long bed. In fact, it may be likely that you don't even realize that you're on that road or have been through that gate. But if you do see the gate, if you happen to glance just as you go through, it's probably going to be shiny, well taken care of, probably like one of those Las Vegas signs with lights and neon saying, hey, this is the best place ever. This is the road to freedom and fulfillment. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You can just do whatever you want. It's kind of like when college kids go off to school. No one gets to tell them what to do anymore, right? That's what this gate is. That's why it's a healing. The idea that we can remain just as we are without any introspection and that life really is a highway and I'm going to drive it. I'm in charge. I'm the captain of my own soul. I'm in command. I get to make those choices. As you look around, you see a lot of folks at the gate with you. Sure, there are going to be some respectable folks there. Um, Lives that might look appealing to you. There might be some who look like they're living in terrible sin. But hey, most people, especially here in the Bible Belt, they might look pretty decent. Just happy to be going along their way, maybe even holding a a Bible in their hands, a perfect attendance record from Sunday school. And they just think they're just doing fine. Scary, isn't it? Well, but what about the other one? The narrow gate's different. Instead of big signs proclaiming a life of ease, it actually has warning signs. Warning signs. Something like John 12, 25. Whoever whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world over on that yonder, uh, yonder road that's real nice and easy, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Or Acts 14, 22, one of those uncomfortable passages. That through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. As you examine the gate, you, you, you see that it's, it's not just too narrow that your huge F1, F-350 can't fit through it. Actually, a, the new Ford Ranger won't either. Or the old S-10s. Or even one of those clown cars. None of those things can fit in. In fact, you, you look at it and... You're going to have to leave your truck, your stuff, your prized possessions, the awards you've gotten at work, and maybe even at church. Those things are going to have to be left along the side of the road. Your sinful choices have to be left there too, and the strings of those sins that have worked their ways into your life, they're going to be severed as you go through that narrow gate. This is what happens when we come to Christ. We're stripped of everything. We come to Him naked, needful, nothing to give Him except our sin. When I was in middle school, we took a field trip somewhere. I sure wish I remember where it was. 
And, and all I remember is they were huge boulders. I guess, I don't know when they stopped being boulders and almost mountains. I, I don't know. But at some point, we were going along a path, and the path kept getting narrow and narrow as we went between these two rock faces. And it got to the point where it was so narrow, the only way that you knew that you could get through it is because the guy in front of you just squeezed through it. And when you got to it, it still gives me the willies just to think about it, is you got to it, even middle schoolers had to suck in their itty-bitty little guts and stand as straight as they could. And even then, there were marks left on your clothes as you just squeezed through. You couldn't have anything in your pockets. You couldn't be holding on to anything. Just you. Nothing else was allowed to enter that small crevice. And this is the image of conversion that Christ gives to us. When we come to salvation, we come as those who have nothing to offer. We don't go through the narrow crevice with our pockets filled with good works or because we have backpacks full of the awards we have received or the pats on the back. What, preacher? What, what do you mean, preacher? I thought salvation was a free gift, a free call. Yes, amen, full stop. The free doesn't mean easy. You ever thought about that? Free does not mean easy. You talk to most people who become believers later in life, and the road to their salvation is very frequently defined by, characterized by great struggle. Not them earning salvation. I don't mean that. But you know, when we come to Christ, we are stripped of all of our own boasting. No longer can we see ourselves as important and puffed up. No more can we see ourselves as somebody. Instead, we come to the cross desperate for salvation in recognition that we are dead spiritually. Free doesn't mean easy. There's nothing easy about being convicted of sin. There's nothing simple about considering the claims of Christ. There's nothing painless about repentance and cutting of ties with worldly patterns of sin. Coming to Christ costs us our lives. Do you know that famous quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was martyred by the Nazis? He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In conversion, we don't go to Christ and accept him in one hand and then hold on to the world in the other. We must despair of what many have called our damnable good works, the things which might look good on the outside but were really done so that folks might think highly of us. We come trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone. But there's another sense in which the gate is narrow in that it is the only way of salvation. There is but one gate to salvation. Certainly the world thinks this a narrow-minded idea. I will say that if you look at any other religion, they're all exclusive, just like Christianity. But it is offensive because it means I can't do it and I need someone else and Christ is the one who did it. It's exclusive, Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But here's the tension, right? It is exclusive. You have to go through Jesus. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the gate. Over in John 10, we see that he is the sheep gate. But it is an offer that is given to all 
of all races, of all colors, of all backgrounds, of all socioeconomic circles. In fact, the rich you are, the harder it is to become a Christian. Jesus says that real clearly. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you have to call on the Lord. Salvation is free and by God's free gift. None of us can be convinced of the fact that we individually deserve hell and need Jesus unless the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Why would we take the narrow gate, the harder way of our own volition? It only comes because Christ works in our hearts. He sends forth the Spirit to make us new and then to go through the narrow gate that has been opened by the shedding of his blood. So which gate will you enter? Which gate will you enter? If you're not a believer, perhaps even Paul says, and think about it, which gate will you enter? You will decide by the end of this sermon which way you're going. And the longer you, you insist on taking the wide gate, the harder it will be to choose the narrow gate. Today is the day of salvation. Call upon him. Well, these two paths lead to two different roads or paths or, excuse me, these two gates. Excuse me, these two gates lead to two different roads or paths or ways. Here, Jesus uses the idea of a road or a path or a way to describe the manner in which we live our lives. Jesus tells us that the path beyond the wide gate is an easy road. It's a big road. It's paved downhill. Man, that's a, I love those kind of roads, don't you? Why is this an easy road? Because it requires nothing of us. It requires us not to trust in Christ. It requires us not, right? It requires us to do nothing. All we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. We don't have to stop trusting ourselves. We don't have to stop relying on our own efforts. We don't have to stop really anything. We don't have to say no to sinful desires. The greatest promise of this road is that of freedom. The idea that we have freedom to do whatever we want, with whomever we want, whenever we want. That's, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Man, as good Americans, we like the idea of no one getting to tell us what to do. That there's no binding authority over me except me. But here's the thing, it's a false claim. It's an illusion. It's a bait and switch. I remember several years ago, I was listening to the radio, and they had some sort of product uh, offered, and they said, hey, and we'll give it to you free. It's a limited time offer. The first 1,000 callers get it for free. And I thought, well, you know, why not? I'll, I'll call in. And so I listened to the person give their spiel, and it sounds really nice. And I said, yeah, I really would like that. And then by the end, they say, now this, this item, I can't even remember what it was, this item can be yours for free. Just pay shipping and handling the 39 95. <laughs> it's a bait and switch. The world offers freedom, but what it gives you is slavery. No one begins wanting to be enslaved to sin. No one begins dallying with a substance or a habit or a thought process, thinking, oh man, I'm really looking forward to being enslaved to this thing. But in reality, Romans 6 says, that we're already enslaved to sin, that it's already a true thing of us. And y'all, sin is a terrible master. 
When's the last time that you knew someone who was living for their own gain, their own pleasure, their own leisure, living life how they want it, rejecting the claims of Christ? When's the last time you saw that person said, wow, that person's got a great life and they are loving it? Now there's tension there, right? A lot of times the life of unbelievers looks really good. Psalm 73 is written about this. But they look good on camera when, they, when the cameras are pointed at them. There is no long-lasting meaning or significance. As one commentator said, it turns out that water out of a golden, uh, golden cup tastes just the same out of a paper one. Sometimes it takes us a long time to realize that, and by then it's often too late. But there is another even scarier illusion for many See, the problem is there are many on the easy road who think they're on the hard road. There are many on the path to destruction who believe they're actually on the path to life. And this is especially true in the South, where we have this thing called cultural Christianity, where it's just part of the culture to be a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I'm a good citizen of Bruton, Alabama, and yeah, I go to X, Y, and Z big steeple church, and I even send my tithes in occasionally, and I'm okay. There are many people who think they are on the road to salvation, on the road to life, when in reality, when in reality, they are on the wide and easy road. See, the broad and easy road is filled with folks we might call hellions, you know, atheists, folks like, well, of course they're going to hell. But there are a lot of other folks along this road who might have the veneer of Christianity an outer shell of obedience, but whose hearts are dead because they have no relationship with Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him personally? It's not enough to know about God. The most liberal theologian, uh, you know, philosopher in some college can know everything about the Bible, but that does not mean he or she's a believer. You must know Christ and to be known by him. Freedom is actually found on the hard road or path. The one we get to through the narrow gate of conversion and salvation. What makes this road so hard? Well, first let me say, if anyone told you that the Christian life was going to be easy, then they misled you. They misled you. It is the only place to find life and forgiveness, pardon, reconciliation, meaning, eternal salvation, significance. It's the only place where you'll find any of that, but it is anything but easy. What does Scripture say? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Philippians 1, verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. John 15.20, Remember the word that I spoke to you, No servant is greater than his master. How'd they treat Jesus? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. The Christian life is one of constant struggle. We are called to self-denial, to say no to sin, to continually mortify or put to death those sinful desires in our heart, to seek to live in a manner that is worthy of our calling. Just look at the commands of the, gospel, or the Sermon on the Mount here. How difficult is it to fight lust in our hearts, to fight the anger in our minds, which Jesus calls murder, to resist those impulses to not to judge others in a sinful manner. How hard is it to love our enemies and not to be filled with anxiety when there's a global pandemic going on? That takes self-denial. That takes daily repentance. 
fueled by the Holy Spirit. See, here's the thing. The road is hard. The road is hard. But it is the only place where we'll find life. And we don't do it alone. We do it with the Holy Spirit. We do it with God himself living inside of us. It's hard because the Christian life has a specific purpose. We call this sanctification, the process by which we become more and more like Jesus as we live more and more to God and put to death sin more and more in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about this, and there we find this word transformation, or, or the word we get metamorphosis for, uh, from. And it's the same word that's used of Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration, when he is transfigured before them, and they see his glory, the only glory of the Father, the glory of God himself on the mount. And God is changing us. He's not changing us into Jesus. He's not giving us our own glory. Rather, he is changing us so that we be more like Jesus, saying no to sin more and more, living more and more into holiness. And my friends, that is a painful process. Because that broad and easy road looks really good to us, doesn't it? Let's be real honest. We know that it leads to enslavement. We know that it's sin, but y'all, it looks good. When, you, when you're tired of climbing, when you're tired of going on that rocky path, that slowly sloping downhill, nice tarmac looks pretty nice. But Jesus isn't done with us. He's paring away those things in our lives which do not bring him glory. Well, kids, if, if there are any kids watching this video, when I was a kid in first grade, my best friend, Ryan King, had this really cool toy set. And I wanted it so badly. And I loved to do it. He didn't like it so much. I guess he'd done it so much. I, know, I bet you have friends like that too. But it was called the Creepy Crawler set. And it was awesome. And you had these bottles of colored goo. And you would pour the colored goo into these trays, into the shapes of all these really nasty looking uh, insects. And then you would take these trays with the goo in it and you'd put it into this oven-like device powered by a really hot um, light bulb. And after five minutes or so, you would pull it out with the tongs and you would peel out these things that looked just like uh, really nasty insects. You know, beetles and spiders and roaches and things that you could use to, um, to scare your brother or sister or put in the, um, in the sink and scare your mom. It was really cool. But do you know the only way to get it from that goo into something that you could hold and looked like one of those creepy crawlers was it had to go, it had to go into the oven. This is how Christ works in us, y'all. That he uses hard times in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Not so that we look like him physically, but that we might be more like him in his character having peace and patience and love and joy and kindness and gentleness and self-control, those sorts of things. Christian life is a hard one. We don't do it alone. We do it the Holy Spirit. Well, these roads, these gates, they have destinations. They are heading somewhere. The wide gate, which opens up to the easy road, its destination is destruction. Or to put it simply, by refusing Christ, living however we want to, or trusting in our own good works, these things lead us to an eternity in hell. The word destruction here does not just simply mean that when we die we cease to be. That's called annihilationism. That's a nice kind of attractive thought at first blush, but it's not a biblical one. 
2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. The picture here, and I think perhaps the scariest thing about hell is that it is forever, never ending. We should never speak of hell flippantly. And we should pray hard that our friends don't go there. But it also means that each and every one of us, this is what we deserve. The preacher of this church, because of his sin and the guilt he inherited from Adam, he deserves to go to hell. That's me, by the way. And so do you. I'm not talking about the person to your right or to your left. I'm not talking about the cat behind you. I'm talking about you. I can say that because I deserve to go to hell. Scripture says that we all deserve the hell. We've all missed the mark. And so that's where the great news of the gospel comes in, isn't it? It's what we deserve, but Christ has gone through hell for us. So that if we would enter through the narrow gate, it's not too late. It's not too late. If you're hearing this, it's not too late. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in what he has done for you on the cross. Enter into the narrow gate of salvation. Right? Because it leads to life. See, Christ died for us. He went, through, he went through destruction, spiritual destruction on the cross. He went through hell on the cross so that we who deserved it, that we might receive his perfect record of righteousness. How amazing is that? We can't earn it. It's received by faith alone. And this is the destination of the narrow gate and the hard path. It is eternal life. Now we can speak of eternal life in two different ways. One, it does refer to heaven after death or when Christ comes back. Uh, by the time that this video has gone live, we will have buried, I guess Lord willing, um, Coleman Fountain, a deacon in our church since 1966. What a godly and wonderful man and a dear friend of mine. He is a man who has now received his eternal reward and now is in heaven and has heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And we have that hope that if we are in Christ upon our death, we will immediately wake up in heaven, ushered into the presence of God. But I will say this, that this eternal life doesn't have to wait. We don't wait until death to enjoy the benefits of this eternal life. Surely you remember the words of John three sixteen, right? What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish. Same idea here. It's talking about hell. But have everlasting life. We receive life at our conversion at the narrow gate. We receive this life from God. He makes us new. He gives us the new birth. He regenerates us. It's not something of our own will and volition, but surely and only by the will of God. John 1.13. The Spirit blows where He wills. Have you received this new birth? Cry out to God. Cry out to God that the destination might be life. There's one last final element to talk about, and that's the number. We've looked at the gate, we've looked at the road, we've looked at the destination, but Jesus also gives us here a fourth element, and that is of number. How many are on each road? And this is very sobering. The many are on the easy road, heading to destruction. The few, the few find the narrow gate. This isn't reason for boasting for those who have entered the narrow gate. It's not like, hey, look what I got and you don't. It's no, please, please, please follow. Please call the name of the Lord that you might be saved. Well, as we conclude, let us not forget the destination of Jesus 
the destination of Jesus here on the hillside. Though we find him preaching here, he's going along the road of his earthly ministry with a clear destination in view. Not this hillside, but another hill, and that is the hill of Calvary. And it is upon this hill that he'll be surrounded by people just like he's surrounded in this text. But he'll be surrounded not by his followers, not by his disciples. By and large, they forsook their Savior. He will be surrounded by those who hate him, those who curse him, those who slander him, those who kill him, those who are on the wide, easy road. But he wasn't there by accident. He wasn't taken there against his will. He went there because of the joy that was set before him and because he loves you. He went there so that he might save us. We who were coasting downhill to eternal destruction, that we might be forgiven and saved and redeemed because of his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And once dead, he was put in that grave. But his journey wasn't over, was it? As the stone was rolled away, it was merely a a matter of waiting for that third day, that first day of the week, Sunday morning, when he arose again in victory, proving and providing salvation for all those who trust in him. And now history has a destination. It's not cyclical. It's not repeating itself. It's linear, and we're heading somewhere. We don't often think about this, and we don't know when it's going to be, but the destination is the end of history and time itself when the long, winding road of time comes to an end when Christ returns in glory. Will you be ready? What if that was today? Which gate have you chosen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this message that they would know you, that if they have not gone through that narrow gate of salvation, if they have not despaired of self and put their faith in Christ Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Now receive the Lord's benediction from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. In all God's people said, Amen.